Hello and welcome to the Created Economy. Uh, I'm Ken Young, and to my to my right now on screen is uh, my my friend uh, Greg Narain. Hello, Greg. Well, wait. Now you switched, so now you're gonna make <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Why are you changing it up? People are gonna get confused now. Uh, Family friendly show, Ken. <laughs> Since when? <laughs> I don't have the uh, beep uh, button on my uh, roadcaster, so I can't figure that out yet. You know what the what the whole thing is. But, um, anyways, uh, thanks everyone for joining. This is the latest episode of the Creative Economy. It's our weekly interview series where we chat with the players uh, of the, from the creator economy at large and discuss the key topics impacting the growth of the industry. Uh, you can find every episode, every new episode, on our YouTube channel and on social media every Wednesday. Um, and you can find more about the show at created.show. Uh, you can also check out our blog at createdeconomy.com for all the long-form content and insights and highlights from each episode. Hopefully, I can get around to that on a quicker uh, cadence than I normally am. And as always, follow us on social media everywhere at Created Economy. Uh, we're on Twitter. We are on YouTube. Be sure to smash that like and subscribe button uh, for more uh, videos from us. And you can find out more about the news that we curate on Flipboard at flipboard.com slash at created economy. All right. And why don't we do this? This is actually, we actually have a sponsor for this episode. And this is actually the first time we're actually going to do this. So let's see how this goes. Uh, Greg, let's run this video in clip for a second. Hi, my name is Joe Polizzi, founder of Creator Economy Expo, May 2nd through 4th. 2022 at the Arizona Grand Resort in Phoenix, Arizona. If you're a content creator and you're trying to understand how to grow your audience, how to build different and more revenue lines, understand the most innovative content operations and get your arms around Web3, then CEX is absolutely the event for you. We're limiting the event to 500 content creators this year. And simply put, we put together the most incredible lineup of content entrepreneurs on the planet. If you need to understand the business model of YouTube, we've got Roberto Blake. If you need better writing tips, strategies, and techniques, we've got the one and only Ann Handley. Do you need to learn the business of podcasting? We've got Jordan Harbinger. If you don't understand TikTok or Twitch, we've got Leash Capiche that will show you the way. And we've also got the five-time New York Times best-selling author, Dan Pink, to close us out. I definitely want to see you there. This is the event for you. CEX.events to sign up. Creator Economy Expo, May 2nd through 4th. I'll see you there. Cool. And uh, be sure to use the discount code created, C-R-E-A-T-E-D, uh, when you register for CEX 2022, and you can save $200 on your ticket. That's CEX.events. Use created as your discount code. All right. <laughs> Without further ado, why don't we bring on our guest at this time, uh, somebody who, uh, two people who are creating a, are the founders of a, of a service called Every, formerly known as the Everything Bundle. Um, they actually have an interesting story to tell because they were, they started off of Substack and now they're a writer collective and very interested to know more about what they're doing and their insights into the creator economy. All right. And with that, Bring on board Dan Shipper and Nathan Bachez. How's it going, guys? Hello. Good. It's good. Thank you for having us. Oh, no worries. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so I think first things first, why don't we start off and, and hear more that's about- question, Ken. Isn't writing dead? No, just kidding. Um. <laughs> no, see, that's every time. Every, so that's the thing, Greg. Every time we have somebody that's involved in writing- so. As a former reporter and, and blogger, you know, I love writing. Uh, but at, we've had people on the show, and Greg always bashes on writing. He's like, oh, when the cool kids, are, you know, cool kids use Tumblr. Like, who says who? Like, all right, come, come on. on. We can all agree Tumblr is not writing, right? <laughs> all right. I, well, I will say, Right. I have that same fear, but I just feel like at least on our little corner of the internet, we still got a thing I going mean, on with writing. I you do know? not I think that stays for a little while. In I fact, think like, our long posts perform better. It's pretty yeah. wild. Like when we ship something short, the audience is kind of like, I don't know, like this is fine. And then when we ship like a monster post, they're like, you know, standing ovation. So it's. <laughs> 
We're uh, filtering you know, for the smart ones, you know. I, exactly. We just have a superior audience. That's what I we was a blogger <laughs> like 2003, I think, or four, right? It was when I did my first blog post. And there was always this funny thing where you're like, this is the one that everyone's going to love. And yet somehow you never figure out how to write that one, right? Because, yeah, yeah you're like all these little lines and zingers you have in there. And you're like, oh, I love that little sentence. And then guess what? Like no one even cared. You were writing on parchment back in 2003, dude. Come on. I mean, the, the internet equivalent of parchment, yes. Blogger.com. All right, Pete, blogger. You know, wait, it was movable type. It was movable type back then. Uh, oh, wow. That's bringing back some memories. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Movable type. And then you had six apart. Uh, wait, so type of type pad was part of movable type or, or six apart? I can't tell that, can't remember. What, what the difference? Anyways, I don't know. And then, and then Matt Before Mullen, my time, I, I was not even, you know, I was. I was, I was <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> your time. It's like, I don't know what this MySpace thing is, what, of what you're talking about. I did have a right? blogger account, though, ages. I do remember having a blogger account, but I believe I moved on to Movable Tight because it was way more fun to use. Mm. Yeah. Um, and now everything's back to simplicity. So oh, but let's go back to where Ken was going. <laughs> Always, always talking about nostalgia on the show. Um, no, but um, Dan and Nathan, why don't you uh, give us an intro about who you guys are uh, and what Every is doing and why should we all care? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Every. We can talk about who we are. Um, Every is a bundle of business-focused newsletters. So we write newsletters on lots of different topics, productivity, strategy, the creator economy, crypto, and we put them all in one place where readers pay one price and they get access to all of the writing that we make. Uh, it's different from other kinds of media companies in a couple ways. One is just like editorial focus wise. We write a lot of long form analysis and commentary pieces. We want to help readers uh, like see the world in a new way or do their, do their job better. It's, it's really focused on content for practitioners, particularly in tech. Like if you're in tech, we want to write stuff that, that appeals to you. Um, and then uh, the other thing that's different about it is we're structured a little differently from other media companies. We're structured as what we call a writer collective. Um, and for, for a writer collective, what we try to do is for writers that we work with be somewhere between working with a big media company like uh, the New York Times and writing on Substack like, uh, like independently. Um, on the media company side of things, we give writers uh, the things that you might expect, like we pay them for the work that we do or that they do. Uh, we give them an editor. We give them distribution to an audience. Um, we give them a trusted brand to write with, all that kind of stuff. And then on the kind of like sub stacky side of things, we give uh, writers a lot of the flexibility and freedom um, that they would that they would get if they wrote alone. So we don't have an editor in the middle who like, like assigns stories to people. Writers basically get to write about what they want within reason. Um, uh, we also share upside. So uh, we measure how much uh, subscription revenue and ad revenue uh, writers bring in, and we pay them 50% of the profit. Um, and we also let writers leave with their list. So we're not, um, we're not holding writers hostage to, um, uh, to like writing with us. So if things don't work out, they can leave. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's like the basic gist of every, and I think we both came to this, I can talk about me and Nathan can introduce himself, but like we both came to this because I think we both grew up in tech and we both grew up really loving a specific kind of writing uh, and wanting to see more of it in the world. My, my original, my, my first company was uh, this company called Firefly. It was a kind of enterprise software company. And I, I built that over a number of years and sold it. And, um, uh, but like that whole time I was writing and, and wanted to see more of this. And so we kind of like stumbled into this as a thing that I think we both just wanted to see more of. And it's been really great to get to actually do it ourselves. Nathan, um, how did you get started? Uh, like, how did you two meet? I, obviously, Nathan, uh, the history in terms of every, uh, the everything bundle came out of Substack. I mean, it was, that's where it the, the first platform it was before you branched off into your own uh, or get your homegrown platform. Um, right. Yeah. So Dan and I had known each other for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I knew of Dan even before I met him through his writing. And uh, I think, I think, you know, he, when we became friends, was like a reader of a lot of stuff that I was working on at the time. And so we always kind of had each other, you know, we were like on each other's lists of like people to work with. And um, after Dan sold his company and he was kind of like thinking about what he wanted to do next. He reached out to me because I had uh, recently left my job at Substack. I worked at Substack. I was sort of like their first employee. 
um, did a lot of like software engineering and design. And, but I also did random stuff. Like I hosted their podcast. It's just, you know, kind of like the jack of all trades employee number one kind of thing. And, um, you know, I left and I was thinking about what I was going to do next. And I knew I really wanted to still do something. It's funny at the time that I don't even think the phrase creator economy was like a thing yet. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something with, um, new models where talent could, could receive a lot more of the upside, um, you know, from the work they do and new, new forms of like discovering great stuff to consume and, and creating more great stuff. Cause I think there's honestly a, a lack of it on the internet today, even though there's an abundance of content, there's a lack of amazing content. And, um, you know, so kind of had those things in the back of my head, I was working on a few different projects and Dan reached out about creating sort of like a network of newsletters focused on, you know, uh, business topics. And I was like, yes, this sounds great. This is amazing. So like we basically went full steam ahead and we decided the first step was let's just start writing some ourselves. A, cause like we want to, and it would be fun. B though, because uh, you know, what better way to convince another writer to work with us than to say we can promote you to an audience. And we didn't really, I mean, we had some audience, like a bunch of people signed up when I launched my newsletter and you know, same thing happened with Dan, but um, you know, it really helps to, <laughs> to also be generating some cash flow. So we had some money we could pay people with rather than just sort of like out of our own pockets or having to go raise a lot of venture capital. Um, and so, so we were on Substack for the first like year of the company's life. And it started out with just two newsletters. Mine is Divinations. It's about business strategy. And Dan's is super organizers about productivity, but really kind of like the cognitive and emotional stuff that goes on behind productivity. That's a lot more interesting, frankly. So we've kind of been, been on that front um, for a while and then just gradually, you know, kept expanding, adding more writers, working with editors, trying to professionalize the operation and, and all that. And that's what ultimately led us to um, getting off of Substack and launching your own platform is just the desire to keep pushing the frontier and optimizing the way that we share content with readers. So does that mean that you, um, and it seems like you're straddling to some degree here, um, like being, uh, you know, like a traditional magazine, right? Just sort of like the editorial yeah. side of the house is a publishing side of the house. New York times has more engineers than most Silicon Valley startups. Um, you know, <laughs> Do you view yourselves like competitive, I guess, to Substack or analogous or complementary? Like, I guess, how do you, like, yeah. I, I know you mentioned, Dan, like, um, when folks write for you, is it exclusive or do they still, you know, write other places? And just kind of curious about that. Yeah. Oh, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, it's definitely a little bit competitive, um, but it's pretty, it's, it's also kind of complimentary and we also just have like a very different strategy. So like some people, they do write with us exclusively and like we, we even have some writers that are like full-time employees. Um, and then other people, they have a sub stack and they're trying to grow it and it works. It's a really good tactic for them to do a guest post with us. We're down for a lot of different ways of working with writers, depending on what they want and what we want and what we can kind of afford to make a bet on at the time. Um, yeah. so, but I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, any given reader's attention at any given moment or any given share of wallet is like, you know, it's a relatively fixed pie. Um, and so to some extent, uh, you know, there, there's some competitive things that happen. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're making a different bet too. Yeah. Um, I think Substack's bet is if you can, um, make it really easy for people to write and get paid online and all they have to do is the actual, the actual writing, then you can get like hundreds of thousands or millions of people to write lots of stuff. And the best stuff is going to, is going to win. And, um, uh, and it'll be across lots of different topics and it just, all, all of it kind of like works in that way. I think our bet is a little bit more like, especially if you want to do something premium, um, especially for like business type topics, having a um, kind of like a, a, wall, a little bit of a walled garden where um, there's a lot of different kinds of writing on it, hopefully eventually. And there's a lot of different voices on it. Um, but you know that there's like a minimum quality bar and you know that you go there for a specific kind of business content that that group of people, if you can get all the voices together, um, then that group of people will uh, will outperform um, for people who want to like who want like really deep in-depth business writing will outperform like just going to any random Substack because the Substack brand, I mean, it's first of all, Substack is great. And I don't think we're ever our ambition is not to like kill Substack or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of room to, co to coexist, but um, the Substack brand gets pulled down to the extent that like to their lowest common denominator writer, you know, and um, uh, it, it becomes like a less special thing when there's lots of people writing on Substack and it becomes also like a less, um, you're a little bit like, I don't know, all the most popular Substackers are kind of controversial. Like, do I really want to 
be involved in that as a writer. Um, mm. And for us, we can kind of like control for a lot of those things where it means something to be writing on every, which um, means that we can make a make a promise um, to readers about what they're going to get, which means that it's a kind of appealing value proposition for a writer. Because if you're a writer who doesn't have an audience yet and you go into every, we can kind of transfer some of that trust to you um, mm -hmm. and you'll grow quickly. So one of our writers, um, Evan Armstrong, he writes Napkin Math and he's been uh, working with us for about a year. Before he came to us, he had no audience and had never written professionally. And he just quit his job like last week to like be a full-time writer. And he can do that on every supported by reader subscriptions and advertising revenue. Yeah. And, and his list is like what? Cross 20,000. So exactly pretty good for like one year into the game, starting at zero. Wow. Right. Yeah. And like, obviously like that's really hard to do. Like Evan worked his butt off and published an essay every week with a full-time job to get there, which is like, it's really, really, really deeply impressive, but also, you know, we were able to distribute him to a, to an audience that trusted that like his writing would be good and, and would give him a chance because they were, they were getting it from every, yeah. um, and that's something that you can't really get from Substack at least as it is right now. Exactly. And all the other writers were kind of collecting, collectively working their butts off, which brings more people in the door, which is more people that can now hear about Evan's post. So it all, it's this mutually beneficial arrangement, which is the great thing I, about bundling. Yeah, actually. I guess I have a follow-up question, Ken, if it's okay. Yeah, um, go ahead. So, you know, HuffPost sort of started this, you know, the original, I don't know, I, you know, like the original HuffPost, like contributor pieces, right? Like, yeah. and I've, I've seen this model rise quite prominently now, like, you know, Forbes, like all the, the magazines yeah. sort of went into this like farming business of some kind, yeah. right? Like they just took other people and said, hey, you write this stuff, right? I really like what you guys are doing though, because- you know, as someone who was building into the creative economy as well, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like the the job that we don't really address is enough for creators is really just the operational part, right? Right. Yeah. Totally. And and it sounds like you guys are doing a good job of that, like especially as tuned to like what a writer needs, um, because it's it's very different to say like you just be good at this thing, which then robs you of the potential to be good in a lot of things, right? Like you yeah. know, like. So, you know, it's like, great, I'll make it easy for you to write, but then I'm making you crappy at business, right? Like, and so you actually don't learn what it takes to be successful or how to like get escape velocity or how to grow your opportunity because you become highly dependent on just this, this one thing. And I feel like that is like the risk, like Substack more plays or, right? Like they, they don't have this visibility that you're, you're offering and, and sort of this cleanliness around it as well as like a, you know, you like you're in it together kind of with your writers, it seems. Right. I think also just what we've discovered is a lot of writers, probably most of them, don't actually really want to like have to do customer support and optimize uh, onboarding funnel and mm -hmm. experiment with paid acquisition. And they're just not going to do that stuff because it's not it's not that interesting. It's really complicated and it's expensive if you screw it up, you know, yeah. or like selling ads. Who wants to do a whole bunch of cold emails unless you're the kind of person who like lives for that, right? And there are people who live for that. And it's like, okay, great. This is how the economy works. There's specialization and gains from trade. And it's wonderful when you can kind of like put a whole bunch of people who are different shaped Lego pieces together into something that's greater than the, you know, some of the parts. Um, and so for instance, like advertising, this is another, I would say pretty big difference between us and Substack is like, we love advertising. We don't think it's killing the world and uh, we're very happy to be doing it. And we do tasteful advertising, right? Like, I mean, Dan gets stressed out when I'm like, oh, this ad is too long. Or like, I don't know about this advertiser. They're a little bit janky. Um, but like, you know, like we, at the end of the day, like we're doing ads and we, and we're very happy to be doing ads. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, th this is another thing where it's like, if you're a writer, are you, do you also want to be doing cold outreach to a bunch of advertisers and analyzing who's advertising on newsletters right now and what the average CPM is that their people are getting and what kind of it, testing out different formats for the advertising and the creative, like it just, nobody wants to do that, you know, except for the people who love to do that. And so they should do it, you know, <laughs> that's great. It works out. Yeah. And I agree with you entirely. <clears throat> I think my point is just more that if you, there's, there's something beneficial about letting them know it's there though. Right. Like, because like, it felt like there was a crop of people who came in and are like, you don't need to know any of this stuff. And I'm like, actually, I think you kind of, you should know it to protect yourself. Right. Like you sure. shouldn't do it. Don't do a thing. You're not, that that's not like the best use of your time. Right. But, but not knowing it is, is also like, I think we've been in this educational gap for some time, like as creators become step into business in, in varying ways. I think maybe what you're getting at, and we've seen this a lot which is with writers who are more 
be used to writing for like traditional publications. Yeah, they're, they're, they, I think that there's been a culture of like, you shouldn't actually pay attention to the business and it's like maybe bad for you to do, to, to, to right. know how the business right. works because it'll like sure. affect the quality of the content or like, you know, whatever, like all that kind of stuff. And I think there's, uh, there's probably, there's, there are good reasons for that culture, but it also, yeah, it, it creates this, this um, dependence on the publication on the part of the writer and it works to the benefit of the publishing uh, to the media company in a, in a lot of ways um, to yeah. say that. And I think what you find with um, more online native writers is that like, you're just used to knowing what a funnel is because like, that's what Twitter is, you know, right. like right. you're, yeah. you're used to this cause you've been doing it like since you were young or whatever. And um, there's, there's much more of an, of an understanding of like how the business is going to work end to end, what it means to convert paying subscribers or like to have to split advertising revenue or all these like kind of questions that I think are more natural to internet writers that writers from traditional publications haven't historically had to deal with. And it's a little bit harder for them to know how, how to do it. Um, and so I, I do think you're right. It's, it's really important for people to understand how this stuff works. And hopefully with it, with every, like when, when you publish, you're connected enough to the results to be like, okay, like, yeah, it drove subscriptions or it didn't. And like, that's, yeah. that's a, that's at least an important input into my process. And I know I'm going to get paid more for it. So like, I'll probably try to drive yeah. subscriptions, you know, balanced with doing stuff that I think is really, really high quality. The flip, side, though, the flip side is that what that also makes you way more protective about your audience, right? You're like, nah, I don't want to write about this junk, right? Like, I don't want this sponsor here. I don't want this yeah. kind of thing here. I don't want to be associated with this stuff, right? Like I, that, right. that's what I've seen. That's what I admire about creators, right? Is they're like, they actually are very aware of like what their real core asset is, right? And so yeah. they're like, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to yeah. work here, right? Because I don't yeah. believe in it. And yeah. Yeah, I think you have the luxury. If you work for a traditional publication, you have the luxury of like writing for it and then also believing that advertising is bad. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you if you are more online, like you're a little bit more like, oh yeah, some ads are bad, but like this is also how it pays my bills, you right. know. Yeah. Um, and that that's kind of an interesting difference or thing to thing to see happen for people who are, who are writing um, is is that being much closer to the business. And there there are a lot of positive benefits. There's also you can argue there are negative benefits. It's like or there there are negative there are negative aspects to it, and it's about balancing it. And but I I think ultimately we believe it's better for the writers and for the readers yeah. and for the and for the the kind of content that gets created. So let me ask, do a deeper dive in terms of the overall user experience, right? As you, I think over the past decade or so from blogs that you would like automate, automatic uh, WordPress has kind of proliferated. It's a huge part of the industry. A lot of the big websites are powered on WordPress. Uh, then obviously, we were, as we we're joking earlier, I mean, you had blogger you had tumblr there's plenty of these writing platforms that exist right and those are different from from every in terms of they just they're the content management systems they allow you to publish online then you had now you have this this renaissance of newsletters with substack and mailchimp and everybody says subscribe to my newsletter blah 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 right and Medium has been around touting very, almost in a similar manner, philosophy, at least a philosophy standpoint, what you are doing from an every, at, at, at every, they want to promote knowledgeable insights from credible writers, or at least that's kind of what they their foundational has been. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't happen. There's a lot of garbage that has proliferated on Medium. It just wound up being this blogger platform. How do you measure, uh, how do you view every versus all of these other platforms, right? And what is enticing people to use your platform to publish beyond the, uh, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm talking more specifically bells and whistles. Sure. And then how does that um, aid, like how do you help with discover discoverability of someone's content and avoid the content farm label that has befallen Forbes, HuffPo, and other publications. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is we're really not a platform. So like we happened to build our own platform because the way that we want to create our distribution as a publication is different from what 
any like ghost Substack. There's just, there wasn't anything out there that takes the boxes that we wanted to tick because we're, we're a new kind of publisher, but we're still a publisher. So like in some ways, like, you know, bells and whistles wise of the platform. I mean, like Dan is the bell and I'm the whistle, right? Like you talk to us and we tell you about like how we can promote your post and like we give you edits and, you know, we're hiring an editor and like, you know, the other bell and whistle is like distribution to our whole list, which is like approaching 50,000 people. And like, there's a whole bunch of other benefits that it's just not even in the same category. It's not even in the same conversation as um, a platform because basically we're like, hey, for the subset of stuff that we think will work for our audience, which is like a tiny, tiny sliver of everything that could be published on the internet, we're willing to pay you. We're willing to promote you to a whole bunch of people. We're willing to give you lots of feedback, you know, like all those things. So it's just a different category of thing. Got it. So what is the, what would you say in terms of the, because Nathan, you have worked at Substack. Yep. And you saw a lot of attention being given to newsletters. And that kind of gave rise to, hey, everyone wants to subscribe. They want to get, have it direct to your inbox. They will like the long form type of content. But everything in social media or in, or in terms of the tech trends these days suggests people want or are, are addicted to shorter form content. 280 characters, 30 second videos, like we ephemeral content. Mm-hmm. What was the gamble? Uh, what was your thinking behind taking that gamble saying, yes, we want to do long form content? And Every has published quite a bit of uh, exceptional long form content. I, and I, case in point, Nathan, you published uh, quite recently uh, a whole piece on Substack, a long mm-hmm. piece on Substack. So what was the what was the thinking behind saying, yeah, we're, we're going to go in on long form. We think that's where what people really, really want, as opposed to, all right, just 200, 400 word uh, posts. And that's what we'll give people. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I don't really think of them as um, substitutes. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what Dan will have to say about this. Cause we haven't talked about this in a while, but I, I love short form stuff. Like I consume Twitter all day, but it's like, you know, Twitter is like a little crumb and it's like, you can have a little handful of crumbs or you can have like a cookie. Right. And sometimes you don't have time for a cookie. You just want to, little crumb here or there because you're like in between meetings or whatever. But like when you have time for a cookie, maybe you'd rather have that. And like, maybe not, maybe, maybe you just want to spend like an hour on Twitter, which people do. I do that sometimes, but um, it's like, what am I even talking about on Twitter? Probably stuff that's like a result of these bigger, more coherent pieces that I've consumed that really helped forge my worldview, like books and essays and things like that. So um, I just think uh, the kinds of things you can communicate longer form are just really different. And um, there's always going to be a place in the world for them, especially, I think, um, as it relates to just making sense of what's going on. You know, like Elon Musk bought almost a 10% stake in Twitter. It was announced today. Like, why? Do you want to read a tweet about that? Uh, Because he thinks free speech is important. Okay, great. What does that tell you? Not very much. It leaves you with more questions than it does answers. So you need someone to like, really sit you down and like give you a perspective on it. Or at least I do. I feel like I want that. And I think a lot of other people do too. And um, you can also just convey so much more emotion and personality and you can tell a story. And it's just a really different and more enjoyable experience to me when I have time. Um, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to go away because visual media or audio, audio is really great at conversations, which can be meandering and you can get tone of voice and back and forth. Visual is great at like, you know, watching a new relationship form or watching some crazy shit happen or whatever, or watching someone dance, different mediums have different strengths. I think, I think words, written words are really great for a set of things that there's never, I don't think any form of video is ever going to beat. It might be bigger than, but I won't completely extinguish it. You know what I mean? And I think that on an absolute basis, writing is bigger than it ever has been. And it will always be bigger. Maybe the growth of video will outpace it or audio or whatever else. But like, I don't know who cares. Like someone else has more toys than me. Like whatever. I like writing, you know, like, (laughs) um, I would definitely echo everything that Nathan said. Um, a couple of other things come to mind is like, you can kind of, I think you can split things into like, what, what do people want? What do they want to want and what will they pay for? And I think if you graphed out like what people want, I think for the vast majority of time, you're right. Like people want to spend time scrolling, just revealed preference. They want to spend time scrolling, but there is part of them that like at a certain time, they do want to like read something like long form and deep. 
whether that's an article or a book or whatever. And they want to want to read long form deep stuff. They, it's like, it feels more ego aligned to feel like the kind of person that's going to like focus like deeply on something that someone has thought about and crafted or whatever. Even if like, you know, most of the time you don't really live, live up to that. It's aspirational to, to do that. Yeah. And then that's what they'll pay for too. Um, because, okay, yeah, I can go scrolling through the, the crumbs, but like if someone asked me to pay 20 bucks a month for that, I'd be like, no, that's, it's trash. I don't want, I don't want to do that. Like, I'll spend my time on it, which is, that's a very weird trade-off that you'll spend your time, but not your money on it. Yeah. But for long form stuff, especially like deep, thoughtful stuff about business, it's much easier to justify to yourself. Oh yeah. This that's is why super follows. It's got no traction, yeah. right? Like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. And, and just yeah. what we find is that's, it works. Like it just does. Um, and that's what we like. So we found this like nexus of like, stuff that works stuff that people pay for stuff that we like and that's so i guess as, yeah. instead of as alternatives right to each other per se though you know and, and nathan i think it's a great you know sort of analogy right are you i'm kind of curious about you know i do video stuff right so i'm kind of curious about are you seeing like um augmenting the long form or are you seeing more omni like omni media creators now right so you know i think it's great to come and have this, you know, long form written post, but then I'd love to chat about it with my readers. Right. Or maybe yeah. they're, you know, the New York times invests tons of money in like visualizations and other things like that, or Vox. And yeah. I'm kind of curious, just like how you see that ecosystem potentially evolving for every. And, um, I, and just in general, if you have comments or thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we've done a lot. I think first of all, just, uh, you know, Twitter, like a lot of it is, it's a funnel, right? you you write tweets to get people to write, to read your long form stuff. I think for us, one thing that we found is like you, you do podcasts to get people to pay for your long form stuff because um, people find out about you from Twitter. They read some free stuff and then they listen to your podcast and they're like, oh, these, these, these guys are cool. Like I, I, I feel like I know them. I want to pay them. Um, so you can, you can like align all of those different um, uh, channels or um, media onto like into a funnel. And that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, yeah, like different media are good for different jobs or different explaining different kinds of things, like the thing, the kinds of stuff that you can do in a YouTube video about productivity. It's a little different than what you do in a, in a written interview about productivity and different people are going to watch it and different people are going to like it for different reasons. So yeah, I think like we'll have to do more media or, and do more channels. Um, we're starting with writing um, and we have podcasts and I think those are the, those, those, are, that's where we'll stick for a little while. But even now we have like, videos that we put on youtube of some of the podcasts we record and and that is an, that is another channel that we use to get people to over to every um so yeah it, it's like the name of the game of media usually is is it's you got to do something that you have something that you do well but you also have to diversify in terms of like the kinds of things you make and the, the kinds of ways you monetize it so i, I expect yeah. that we'll do that more over time yeah and it's tough because i think there's kind of an explore exploit trade-off problem here where um you know, it's really hard to learn how to do any of these things well. To like have an incredible podcast takes a lot of focus. To have a video that like anyone wants to watch takes a lot of focus. To write a thread, you'd be you'd be amazed. You'd think an essay and a thread on Twitter, it's like basically the same thing, right? Actually, totally different thing. Like we suck at writing threads, but we're awesome at writing like essays. And um, like for us, it's always gonna be more profitable in the short run to just try and do another really great essay. That works really well. We know it works, it's worked a lot of times for us. You know, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and figure out the other things. It's just that we face some short-term disincentives. And so it has kind of naturally corralled us into focusing on, on writing, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily the wrong move, but I think it's something that um, probably, uh, probably explains why so many creators tend to be like really great at one channel and then trying to get good at another, but it's not quite the same as their original channel, <laughs> you know, and I think we have the same thing. Because mm -hmm. yeah. right now you have, it last count, I, 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 you have what, seven hundred and fifty thousand people have read uh, articles on on every. Is that is that accurate? Probably. I think when I tweeted that, it was just like go to Google Analytics and zoom all the way out and see what it tells me for unique audience members. Um, I could like do the same thing now, but it's you know it's who really knows right because yeah. it's like cookies on people's browsers and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, something in that ballpark. But twenty four hundred paid subscribers and. This is about what two years? Uh, actually, two years old now, right? Because you you founded the company officially uh, in 2020. Right. Uh, so a question there is: How are you identifying the writers for this collective? 
mm. because everything that you have because you're not you're, you you've, you describe yourselves as as publishers in a way that you want to promote like not just not garbage art quality articles yeah you want to you want to foster great writers and and show them support so that they can say you know what i'm going to quit my day job as as you pointed out with that uh, with with that other gentleman and you're like hey they now they can do this as a full time they can be mm-hmm. fully participate in in this economy but how do you vet them uh, or who do you solicit and say hey do you want to be a part of this yeah and what is your pitch to that person yeah it's surprisingly easy you just ask for their sat score no, i'm just kidding nice. um, <laughs> i wish it's so hard it's so, i mean <laughs> This is this is something that I want Dan to speak to more. Uh, but the quick thing I'll say is it's just really hard. And this is not we don't want to sit here and be like, yeah, we've cracked the nut. This is like the main thing that we're focusing on is how to expand in a thoughtful way that works and how to build the right kind of onboarding experience for writers. What's the right first step and second step and third step? It's really hard. And I don't honestly even think traditional publications have figured it out. I think they probably just make a lot of full-time offers and then like a subset of the people drive most of the business. And we haven't raised tons and tons of money and we don't have a hundred plus year history with a giant balance sheet. So it, we're being more conservative about it, but I think it's just a hard problem. But yeah, I'm curious to hear Dan on this. Yeah, we've tried lots of different things. Um, we've tried poll. So like people can uh, like submit like applications to work with us or pitch us. We've tried push, like, you know, we do cold reach out to people or reach out to friends with varying levels of success, you know, like I, I spoke about Evan earlier, um, who, who runs Napkin Math, and that was just like, he, he submitted a guest post, we, we called for guest posts, and he submitted a guest post, and it went great. Um, one of the things that we do, which I think is really, really, like, uh, an integral part of the process is, we have people, when we work with writers, we just do one post together, and we see how it goes, and we send it out to the audience, and, and we have a way to test, like we can send it out to a small percentage of the audience to see how it does. Um, and then if it does well, we send it out to more. And if we like the, the person and they like us, then we like do, do like a larger deal. And so we have ways to kind of like go through a process with a writer where we're testing at each step to understand how, how the fit is between us and them and between, between them and the audience, um, which, which has been really helpful. And there's lots of little heuristics that, that kind of, um, point in the direction of like, this person is probably a good fit. Um, so for example, if they have good tweets. Um, or their, their tweets are, you can see that their tweets are starting to get more and more engagement and their account is growing. It's a good bet that they're going to be probably a decent fit for us. Having good tweets doesn't necessarily mean you can write essays, right? but, um, you probably like a lot of them can, if they want to. Um, yeah. Another one is like tryout or something or yeah. Is is there a tryout or something? Do, do, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like the guest post process. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we say, hey, like you want to write a guest post and and usually they, they say yes. And then we can kind of like judge how it goes from there. Um, I think that there's also just this like the way these kinds of personality driven publications work is you have like your personality pillars. And I think right now, like me and Nathan are like two of the pillars. Evan's another one. Lee's another one. Um, and um that gives you this kind of like respect bubble of writers that are kind of near you or connected to you on Twitter um, that like what you do. And that gives you the opportunity to like kind of get those people into your vortex, you know, and, and, um, uh, and over time, like as, as you get, as you're, as you get bigger as writers, like your respect bubble increases and the amount of people that you can like suck into working with you gets bigger and bigger and you can like the diversity gets bigger and, um, the, the audience size of the people that you can convince to work with you gets bigger. And so like, that's kind of the name of the game is like you increase your own audience. Um, you uh, increase the amount of people that you can reach or the amount of people that are kind of within your within your bubble. And then you try to attract people who are have similar similarly sized bubbles to join. And that increases everything for everybody. Um, and that's we're still figuring out how to do that. And it's really challenging to do it in a way where the, the topics match and the um, the quality level is high enough um, or quality, like what we think is good matches. Um, but that's the general, that's the general strategy. I, I have two kind of questions that kind of go together, but in a weird way, um, I guess number one is um, are there topic areas that you're looking to sort of expand into, right? Obviously. So in case anyone out here, maybe it's a good fit. And then I know you mentioned you're a couple of years old now, and I'm kind of curious, like just, um, 
are, are you bootstrapping it right like entirely and, and the reason i ask is, is more so because i feel like the independence of being able to bootstrap like affords you the opportunity to like make different choices than the yeah. hamster wheel of you know fundraising traditional rounds and so i'm kind of curious you know, like sometimes the markets you pick to go to might be driven by like external forces and, you know, other things. Right. So I'm just kind of curious about that mix. Yeah. The way that we raised, so we raised money for the business. Um, we raised it from a venture firm bedrock. Uh, they're, they're the, uh, the lead investors in the athletic. Um, and we also raised from a bunch of angels, but the way that we raised money was very specifically like, Hey, we think this can be a big business. We're not sure if it can be a, a big business on a venture timeline. We'd like to raise a little bit of money to see. Um, but you should probably expect that we'll find what you usually find for a media business, which is like, it's probably not going to be a, a, a big business on a venture timeline. And so we raise in that way, which gives us a lot of control over um, uh, like the writers we work with and how we, how we expand. And there's, there's basically zero pressure for us to do anything except try to make it, try to make the highest quality product we can and get as big as we can without blowing everything up, um, which is kind of an ideal position to right. be in. We don't need um, to pivot to video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to pivot to video. Um, Wait, and, I, you're, not, you're not pivoting to the metaverse? Isn't that what everyone's doing these days? Just go right. Aren't we already in the metaverse? Like, this is the metaverse, right? <laughs> yeah. um, um, We're all in Roblox now. That yeah. The podcast is now on Roblox. Yeah, I, I don't see how a 3D environment makes what we're doing right now any better. So, <laughs> You're not squinting hard enough. Come on. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. It makes um, it better for Mark Zuckerberg, actually. That does. I can see yeah, that. That's true. Yes, yeah, so go ahead. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of topics, I think actually we're we're pretty much we're actually refocusing in on some of the original topics that we started with, which is productivity and strategy, um, and looking for writers that are kind of more uh, deeply in that space. Um, yeah we've realized it just, it kind of works a lot better when you have, when you can really have a concentrated set of writers where when a reader comes to every, they kind of like know what they're going to get more or less. Um, it, and it helps like if I'm writing stuff that's similar to three other writers, like we can really kind of play off of each other in this really nice way. Whereas if you spread too wide too quickly, um, it just diffuses the power of what's going on a little bit. And it makes our ability to like, for example, like cross post articles between lists and promote our, promote writers to other, the, to the readers of other writers. It makes all that a little bit more difficult. Um, and we have a platform that's, uh, you know, we call ourselves a publisher, but we have a platform that does that or figures out which posts to send to which readers and all that kind of stuff. Right now it's not really algorithmic. It's, it's a little bit more manual, but we can do that. Um, and over time, the ambition is to like, have, like cover a, a, a broad variety of topics and, um, be a little bit more expansive. But I think for now, the the main thing is like, yeah, finding writers that are in those two zones, those productivity and strategy zones, which which we kind of think about as like, um, how does like business work? And how does, um, how, how, do, how does like power in the economy work? And then uh, the other zone is like, how do I work? Um, and like, how do I, how should I live? You know? Um, and I think those are, that's where we're focusing right now. Right. And how can I work with people? Yeah. And how can people work with me? Yeah. Definitely. Is there is a, a, another reason for that? Could it be because other verticals might be super saturated with other publishers? So, for example, why not go? Why when you started every mm -hmm. and you identified those two verticals, why was like news not one of them? Why was uh, lifestyle not one of them? Right. Uh, obviously the business and the technology side and the, the productivity side were, are, are amazing. There, there's a lot of opportunity for them. Uh, is it possible that those three verticals are areas where people who read those that read that content are more likely to say, are more likely to be invested in longer form content perhaps? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we just kind of went to start with, writing the kind of stuff that we wanted to write that we felt like was, I guess to some degree it's about market saturation because we felt like it was missing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, it's really hard to get people to pay for news if what you're doing is kind of regurgitating a story that somebody else broke. And even if you can get a scoop, which is like really hard and that's not our game at all. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people who are already trying to get scoops. You know, We could have started that business and then 
you know, two years in Ben Thompson or sorry, Ben Smith wants to start his new business. He's just like the scoop master, right? Like the New York times there, there's people who are going to be better at scoops than us. Um, but what I feel like is really missing is, I mean, one thing we haven't talked about much is kind of like business books, right? Like the business section of the bookstore, it's got the kind of, it's kind of the genre of content that we do where it's, it's more zoomed out. It's more telling you a story maybe about a company, or it's more giving you some principles and some frameworks of how to understand how the world works or how you work. And, um, I think essays are a great form factor for that. I think they're a better form factor, honestly, for most people than books. And you can string together essays over a long period of time and it adds up to a more meaningful and interesting collection uh, to me than like a one-off book. Um, and I think it's an ascendant form. I think the internet is just more native to essays where it's like, it's kind of like chapters, but it's a little bit more self-contained. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think that there's something missing there. And um, we started out by pretty quickly uh, trying to expand and having really different types of, of essays or, or stories that, that we publish. And we just found that it was hard to get them to work because the audience is just kind of a little bit different for that. So, you know, if we have a new writer and they do something kind of different and we promote them to our existing audience, it doesn't work as well as if we have a writer who does something that's more similar to what we do and we promote them to our audience. So just economically, there's an incentive to stay close to the core. I think another uh, thing is you can think of it a little bit like a two-sided marketplace where if we like have all the best stuff about like strategy and productivity, then it's easier to get the best, you know, readers for that, which makes it easier to get the best writers for that. And it's kind of this self-reinforcing loop. And, uh, in general, if you have a marketplace business where you're like thinking about like the land and expand kind of strategy, like Uber started in San Francisco, whatever, like, like the, the market wedge, so to speak, which I wrote, I wrote a piece on this, um, but uh, basically what you want to do is you want to really get it working in your first market. And mm -hmm. I think we kind of have it working, but I think there's more we have to do to get it working in our first market. And so we sort of prematurely expanded a little bit. And then now we're kind of like, no, 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 let's do more to get it working in our first market. But that doesn't mean that we'll always stay here. It just means we have to get it working better. And I don't know, maybe that'll take a year. Maybe that'll take longer. This is the great thing about the way we raise money is we're just like able to just focus on what's most important at any given time and not worry too much about, you know, somebody breathing down her neck, <laughs> basically. It, it's interesting. I was just going to say, it's very interesting that analogy you used, though, because you did find the short form version, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. Like, they don't they say what's the usual case, like for a business book is like, you know, it's like 120th of the size is like where most yeah. of the value is, right? And it's like the rest is like studies and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, notes. yeah, in some ways, though, the, 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 the long form posts you have are like the short, Short books, yeah. Like in the business book realm, I love it. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Uh, what are you? What are some challenges you you're facing at Every right now? Right. Obviously, it is. Uh, you've mentioned the writers curating your the writers on there, but as a fledgling media company slash tech company, uh, I would I would consider. What are some of the challenges that you're facing and? And how does that re reflect the the broader creator economy in, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, here, here are a couple. I, I actually don't know how it reflects on the broader creator economy. I can I can try to I can try to we can try to talk through it. Um, one big thing is um, we're looking for an editor. It's really hard to find an editor. Um, we've we've had great editors in the past, um, but it's just finding someone who like really knows the words and really kind of like knows how to, how structure works and grammar works and, and, and how sentences should, should flow and all that kind of stuff is hard. But then finding that person intersecting with someone who really under, deeply understands the topics that we write about um, and understands the audience and what's going to be interesting to the reader, it's very rare. Because most of the people who understand the words are just, they're in a different world. Like they're kind of thinking about different things. And most people who understand the ideas are not editors. They're, you know, either maybe they're writers themselves, but more likely they actually just work in the industry. Right. Um, so that, that's it. That's a huge challenge. Um, I think another big one for us is um, the way that we, the way that we grow primarily is, well, there's a couple of different mechanisms. One is we add writers. Uh, another one is um, we like write things and then put them on Twitter or Hacker News and hope they go viral. Um, and then there's like some long tail SEO and like all that kind of stuff that kind of like s snowballs it. But I think 
something that, and if we want to talk about like broader creator economy stuff, I think this actually does apply. Like something that we found is the last, like around the start of the pandemic for like a little bit before the, the pandemic started. And then like for probably the first six months of it, newsletters were like outrageously popular. Everyone was signing up for newsletters and we really rode that wave. And a lot of our like compatriots, our colleagues also rode that wave. Um, and that was a big, those are big growth moments where it was super easy. Um, and then uh, there was like the crypto wave. And I think there's a lot, there's a big, there's a lot of big growth moments available to a lot of newsletters on the crypto wave too. And kind of the question is, um, as a, as a media company or as a creator, um, it's great to catch a wave, but it's very hard to predict that. And that means that your growth is like kind of hard to yeah. understand or make like, like pull levers to actually like control. Right. Um, and so a big thing for us is obviously we want to catch waves. We want to, but, but you can't really try to catch a wave. You have to write or make things about stuff you care about. That's the right. only way you're going to have energy. And you're going to hope that you actually make the wave yourself. Like you, you push people into a topic or an idea or a way of thinking that they weren't, they weren't thinking about before. And that's how you kind of create one for yourself. But in the meantime, how do you create a sustainable linear growth engine to like keep pushing people to your stuff? Um, that's a really big question. Like, do you run paid ads? If you do, like, where do you, where do you put them? Uh, do you do giveaways? Do you like have a referral program? Like there's all this like stuff that you can do to grow. That's not like basically like hitting the magic button or hitting the jackpot and like riding a wave, you know, yeah. and getting good at that is hard. And that's something that, that we're basically figuring out how to do. Very well put. I think when we got started, we didn't even know we were riding a wave. We just thought it was like easy. And then when that rave petered out, the next one was crypto and no, none of us that we were really working with, like natively were like ready to do what you had to do to ride that wave, which is basically to be like, this is amazing and it's going to change humankind forever. And we just didn't feel that way. We're like, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Kind of like open source in some ways, like does sort of change the world, but also kind of doesn't. Uh, you know, and like, nope, that's not the most viral message there. And so we caught that wave like a little bit, but not nearly as much as some of the other people who were kind of around at the same time as us who had, who had a different um, philosophy about it or a different level of interest in it. And so, and, and yeah, it's so fascinating to see how people can create these waves too. And like, yeah, just, I think, I think that's such an interesting way of thinking about it. But then even in the absence of a wave, having a well-oiled machine, right. That just spits out growth is like, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the nice things, too, is because we have multiple writers, we have a lot of different shots on goal. Right. And with waves. Yeah. Like any particular writer at any given time can catch one, you know, and we have more irons in the fire than an individual creator would. And all of the creators benefit when one of us catches a wave because the audience gets basically shared. Um, so uh, I think that's that's one other aspect of the model. That's that's pretty cool. Cool. Uh, Greg, do you have uh, any other questions for for Dan and Nathan? Uh, I know we're running short on time here. Um, if not, I, I do have one more question I can ask them. Oh, go ahead, Ken. Yeah, so uh, where do you go from here, right? I mean, you have so many, you're having people subscribe, they're paying, you have, you're curating writers. Where do you go from here? And what advice would you give to writers who may want to go on their own are feel like they cannot because they need that security of their full-time, their current full-time job or employment. Nathan, Dan, either one of you to start? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. I think like where we go from here, we, we have a, you know, I think our dream is that every becomes an institution in business writing um, that we've discovered and defined a kind of business writing for practitioners that we can we can popularize and make available to like a, a really really broad audience and and have a place where the best writers come and do the best writing of their lives together. Um, so that's that's where we're going, um, and we hope to do that across a wide variety of topics. We're starting with like productivity and strategy and more tech related topics, but like that's the idea overall. In terms of advice for creators, um, I, we get that we get that question a lot and I don't necessarily like have the advice is like simple, but very difficult, which is um, produce a lot of stuff. Try really hard to make it good at the beginning, just produce a lot of stuff and don't care about 
uh, how good it is. Just like get it out so you can kind of get a feedback loop going. Over time, like really start to uh, start to um, uh, take feedback and and refine like your craft um, to make it better and to understand um, what makes things work and what make, what's, what makes things not work and to be able to listen to like what's inside of you. Like what do you want to do? I think also like. I see so many people with this idea in their head that they want to be writers that don't like writing. Um, and That's um, yeah. And I, I think people like, I, I hope those people can feel okay with the fact that they might not like writing and that that's okay. And there might be lots of other things that they do like that they could find. Like maybe you're a podcaster, maybe you like to make videos. Maybe you like to, you don't like to do long form. You like to tweet. Like there's so many things to do that, allow you to have the same kind of things as uh, like get your ideas out or um, meet people who, who are, um, who are like-minded that, that writing can be a vehicle for. And I think it's great. Like as many people should be writers as possible. We'd love to work with you, but also like putting that on yourself to like, I have to be a writer or feeling bad that you're not writing enough. Like actually maybe just find something you do like, and that, yeah. that'll probably work better. Yep. I think the emotional sustainability is like the key point basically, because it's like pulling a slot machine lever every time you hit the publish button. And if the only reason you're in it is for the winnings, like, Oh, it's just going to be devastating. It's going to, you're going to be just wrecked emotionally after a while. And, um, you have to actually find the process of creation itself satisfying enough to do it for that. And that alone, even if the slot machine is not spitting out something very uh, favorable to you, lately because you're going to go through periods where it's better and where it's worse. And I think it's so much easier to focus on um, how do I make stuff that I'm proud of that I, I enjoy creating rather than to focus on what the slot machine is giving you today, because there just is a lot of randomness in the feedback you get from the internet. It is not a fair system. You know, it's a chaotic system and it doesn't mean that you can't make a living off of it, but it does mean it's really hard to pin your self-worth or your emotions on it. And that's the number one thing that most people do. Myself included. I want to be really clear. I'm just straight up talking to myself. I'm going to listen to this tomorrow uh, because I'm going to need it when I have to start finishing my essay for the week. <laughs> oh, so how often do you publish, uh, Nathan, yourself, like uh, as, a, as a writer? I mean, yeah. you, you publish, do you publish like once a week? Do you publish uh, twice a week or yeah. however? Does it, does it vary based on your mood? I, yeah, I went through a long stretch of it varying based on my mood and I realized that my mood is not my friend. And so now I publish weekly. <laughs> yeah, I, I can never, it, it always, I can always write it up here just when I put it onto a keyboard. It, it never, never happens. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is you start typing and then you feel like shit and then you stop. And yeah. uh, it's better to just have an advertiser that needs you to publish this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the almighty dollar will, will yeah. be enough of a motivation. So yeah. um, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us and, and educating us on what you're doing at every looking forward to, to seeing more. We'll definitely have to uh, check out uh, more of the writing that is on there. Uh, and when you do publish your, your essay, Nathan, let us know. I, I, I'd love to take a look at that um, and, and read it as well. Uh, oh, and, Little small note, uh, Nathan is also does a podcast with uh, Legion called Means of Creation. Um, how often? That's a weekly podcast. Is that correct, Nathan? That one's more like every other week. Every yeah. other week, yeah. So definitely go ahead. Oh and check man, now now I just remembered your voice. See, like <laughs> <laughs> you knew you knew me from somewhere. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, how familiar. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Um, People that are interested and want to know more about Every, go to every.2, um, and that's where you can get more information. Uh, and be sure to ping Dan and Nathan if you want to be a writer on there. It's a great platform to check out. Um, and good luck to you both on, on yeah. what happens next. Thank you so well, much. On the, uh, the success so far. It's, been, it's, uh, it's great to watch, and obviously it's amazing content. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having so us. Much. Amazing thanks, Thank you for having us. Yeah, bye. Yeah. See you. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping items here. Uh, right now, we are still looking for more guests for uh, Created Economy. We have a bunch more. Uh, we have several more in the queue right now. We have uh, Ira Belsky scheduled to come on the show later on. He's the co-CEO of Artlist. Uh, we also have Derek Yang, the product manager, lead product manager at Discord. That'll be a great conversation. 
And for those that are NFT fans and Web3 fans, we are having Daniel Salzberg on the show. He is the freelance illustrator and the creator of Dan Village. Very interested to know how to create an NFT and especially as that relates to the creator economy. And be sure to tune in also on Tuesdays for Created Works. That's Greg's show. Um, he's going to have uh, a lot of great, amazing guests uh, talking about Web3. And I think you're still trying to build out to mint your own NFT. Is that correct, Greg? Uh, I don't know. We're actually just <laughs> mostly interviewing folks at this point. I think um, we have uh, Women in Vases on next. Uh, but yeah, we're booked up through May, actually. So yeah, if you are launching a project, um, especially if you're you know underrepresented founder, we'd love to have you on. Yeah, and if you want to be a guest on any of our shows, go to createdeconomy.com slash guest list. And with that, we will see you all next time. Be sure to like and subscribe to see our latest podcast videos, and we'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Bye, everyone.